Hello and welcome to Dvorak Horowitz Unplugged, an hour-long discussion of activity in the financial markets around the world featuring columnist John C. Dvorak and money manager Andrew Horowitz. This conversation is casual and unrehearsed. Let's join John and Andrew now. I'm John C. Dvorak. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. And it is the 14th of November, 2023. Mm. Yep, we're heading into the... Uh, what do we got? We got 45 days left of the year, which is pretty substantial. When you think that New Year's was like yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. 2023 with all those trials and tribulations, all the concerns, the issues, the 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 headwinds coming to a close with a big bang towards the end, which is pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. It's kind of Kind of a big bull market. Yeah, unbelievable. So we have four days until the shutdown. Does anybody care? I mean, there won't be a shutdown. Yeah. They never. Well, if there is, it will. Be, it'll be just the same old phony shutdown where they shut everything down and then put people on on furloughs, vacations, or whatever you want to call it. Bring them back, give them their back pay, and everything's back to normal, and no nobody knows the difference because well, whether you pay them or sure. not, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't make any difference. They're not doing any work. Well, you know how it is in the parkways and the highways. There's five people working and four are looking on and one is digging a ditch. Yeah. That's kind of how it works, right? Two are having a cigarette, one is watching, two are uh, monitoring, and one is digging. That's how it works. But I think, you know, the, the news, the media needs to just shut up and about the shutdown or shut down about the shut up or whatever the hell it is because they, they're making a whole – they get – what is – I mean, we know the job of the media is to stir up the excitement so they get more media. It's to traumatize the audience as much as you can because they're more susceptible to advertising. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't. I agree with you. It, it's pretty well. What would be really fascinating is if this Mike Johnson, the the guy from nowhere with no bank accounts, with no <laughs> that bank account thing is. <laughs> He's got everybody bugged. Yeah. With no bank account, with, with no political got clout. No bank. Maybe does his wife have a bank account? She must have one. They said that the wife and the husband did not disclose any bank accounts. Well, that doesn't mean they don't have them. That's correct, which is even worse. Well, not if he doesn't have one and she does. She didn't have to. What business is that, is that of yours, whether she has a bank account or not? It's disclosure for the Senate or for the, the Congress. It's a requirement because now you're a related party. For example, it's required that the wife. Yeah. In my business, any of my related accounts, and when I say related, related doesn't mean just necessarily blood relation, but, but anybody that I may have control over could be a niece potentially. Svengali? Hmm? Svengali control? Well, yeah. I mean, anybody that I could technically have control over, what happens is that I have to disclose in a special document for the securities regulators. Your son? Yes. Well, they're asking for too much information. Okay. Well, that, that is possible. Like the Bidens aren't being busted left and right. They're, they're, they're not disclosing course, anything. Yes, they do. The presidents have to disclose everything. Of course they do. Oh, so you say Biden's disclosed everything? I don't know if he's disclosed everything. I just know that it is part of the disclosure process. Okay. It is, a, it is supposed to be a requirement, is my point. So, okay, moving along from that, Moody's is angry 
on Friday last, the close of the market, Moody's comes yeah. out with a downgrade of the credit outlook, not of the actual credit rating, but of the outlook to negative from stable on the U.S. saying and citing that there is some uh, political problems that are preventing the United States from uh, making, <laughs> getting any budget deals done and all that. It's, it's blaming actually the political environment on what's going on for their reasoning to downgrade or to, to move a notch lower. I, I don't find fault with them. I think they're just trying to make a statement. I think they're falling behind and they're they're trying oh, to catch up. There's no question about that. You got Fitch and, and uh, was S and P already that's that's down down, but they don't want to necessarily downgrade it. And as Alan Greenspan says so eloquently, it doesn't matter what the rating is. The United Alan States, Greenspan, yeah, Alan Greenspan. You, you, there's no way the government would ever default. He's still alive. I, I believe so. Huh? But he didn't say it recently. He said it back. 20 years ago. Oh, I said it. Okay. He said that uh, it doesn't matter what happens. The fact is that the United States will never default due to the fact that they have the ability to print unlimited amounts of money. There is a zero chance of default. Zero. Yes, this is the theory. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. rating has now been notched down. Uh, the, the inability for any reasonable minds to make any kind of decisions about anything budgetary in Congress is just pissing everybody off. It's it's gotten to a point that it's it's too much already. That a small sect, whether it's left, right, in between, I don't care what you want to call them, but a small grouping of people can actually hold up and hold hostage the entire U.S. economy for their desire to be uh, what would it be? Uh, just difficult. I don't even think they believe the crap that they, they're talking about. Do you think that the entire U.S. economy is actually grinds to a standstill? If they that's what you're implying. If they, if they, no, the entire political system is ground to a standstill. Nothing can get done without, you know, all sorts of. It's, it's, listen, it's always been a lot of excess that goes into a bill for one party or the other. But I yeah, believe, they they pad it with all kinds of yeah. stuff for themselves. Sure. In, in, in other circles, that would be called bribes. That's bribery. Yeah. But not in Congress. There we call it earmarks or, you know, some pork fat. Fat. Anyway, that's that. Crocs, the close to the pin is still open for entries till the end of this week. Thanksgiving. Oh, your favorite. Yeah, yeah Crocs. Yeah, that's good. It's fine. All the shoe companies. Um, my wife says to me the other day, she goes, you know, you, you got a problem. I'm like, what's that? She goes, you get too many shoes. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you get like five pairs of sneakers. I said, listen, let me explain something to you. I have a wide foot. For years, I'm not kidding about this, John. For years, I couldn't wear any sneakers other than like New Balance or these other ones that were wide. And I don't know what happened over the last two years. My foot has narrowed. I swear I'm not kidding about this either. Now I can wear like these really cool Nikes. So I bought a couple of pairs. She's all bent out of shape. Why do you this need them may not be the... This the, the 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 forms that they use to make the shoes they it's like uh if you uh know people that have ever been in the fashion industry just casually they usually have these these big uh it's like a dress form mm -hmm. that you've seen them yeah and they're you know you you make a dress around the form and you 
stick the pins into it and the whole thing. It's, it's a it's a life size thing. It's a big form. I don't know what they're called, but they uh, they change every year. There's a new model every year. Every year, the model of the form changes. There's a there's a 1970 model. There's a 2023 model. They're all different. Same with shoe uh, shoes. I think the the foot that they're designing around has changed and it just happens to adapt to your foot. I'm very happy about it. I don't think that your, your foot has changed. There there is maybe, I would agree with you that the toe box and many of these Nikes are much larger than they once were. So maybe that's what it is. I I don't know, but they're very comfortable. The Metcon sevens love them. Metcon eights. Eh, I've never found Nikes to be comfortable. These are unbelievably comfortable and walkable. Shockingly. Well, I haven't worn them for a few years. Maybe I should try a pair. I wear I wore a pair of Brooks today just doing a quick walk around to just get uh, a little bit uh, stretched. And Brooks? I, yeah, Brooks are great running shoes. I just found them to be eh. So, all right, let's keep going. Thanksgiving. We're going to go through this. Then we're going to get into the hardcore financials and market. We're just going to get through all the excess. Thanksgiving. What are we doing? Menu items. What's happening? You... Cooking, you not cooking, you going up there, you she coming down here. What are you doing? Uh, we're having a combination of things. Uh, we're having a, a turkey cooked here, or, or actually, it's a complex situation. Yes. Uh, but we're going to do a big dinner at my house. If I remember correctly, what year is this now? This is 2023. This is November 2000. This is Thanksgiving 2023. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. I think Thanksgiving 2020, myself, my wife, Adam Curry, his wife, your wife, you, your family, we were all invited to a virtual Thanksgiving dinner at your house. Is that a correct statement? Could be. And your whole family was there. And Adam we had everybody on the was there, phone. I was there. Yeah. No, we were on, on like a Zoom call. Yeah, Zoom call. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Everybody, all everybody did was complain about it afterwards. We so did. We, we I'm did. still complaining. It was terrible, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was, this didn't work out. Okay. Um, today, big news today. You've, you can't, you can't, couldn't have missed this. The, uh, the number comes out this morning about CPI, the consumer's price index, and it was a little bit softer in a couple of different areas from the headline into the basic numbers. So they came out and markets went berserk, berserk. CPI dips, market ramps, small caps up over 5% today. The KRE regional bank index up over 7% today. This is like enough for a year. Yeah. This is what the treasury bond gives you in a year you got in small caps today. And I think this is all because of the herky jerkiness of the Fed. You know, one day they come out, the soft, the next day the dovish, the next day the hawkish. Then we see the data that lines up, doesn't line up. People are offside. They don't know where to go, what to be, how to deal with this. So these little variations in the narrative that go along with the positive opportunity for the Fed to get the hell to, sh- to shut up again, shut up and shut down already is I think very important when we're looking at these markets because there's so much bad news built in. There's so much negativity 
headwinds, storm clouds, whatever you want to call it, that any bit of good news is, is received very well. So when you see a market up 2%, 2.5% today, stocks all over the place, short squeezing like 10%, 12%, 15%. Healthcare, biotech's just booming today. Getting towards all-time highs for some big names as well. Pretty amazing. Yeah, makes you wonder what's going to happen. You would think, I've seen, we saw this last Tuesday, by the way. And then it kind of went to shit. And then came back at the end of the week. But we saw this. It was like, okay, that's great. Oh, my God, look at that number. And then, yeah, we got PPI coming out tomorrow morning. PPI has been soft recently. So the expectation is that it continues to be in that vein. We're going to see on Thursday the, in, the employment numbers that come out. Next week, there's some other numbers that are coming out. But right now, we have a combination of, I think, seasonality, which is positive influence on the market going into the end of the year, just is yeah. the way it is. And on top of that, we have uh, the, these, these like, for example, the bank stocks, the small caps rolled over all year. And now all of a sudden there's a reversionary trade and a makeup trade that's happening with the fact and support of the idea that, ah, inflation is done. Meanwhile, it was still 4%, 3.9%. It was still right yeah, around. Yeah, it's cumulative, yeah. which is, makes it worse. Yeah. Um, Big names over the last week, though, have been pushing up the index value. So this was a catch-up again. I think this whole issue of what we saw today with the small caps moving up was really interesting compared to the large caps. Large caps did, large caps did well, but but really just a, a, not, as, not as much. The KRI is, uh, was a plus two yesterday, plus four today, slight overheating. So we're getting to a point where there's clusters forming where you want to start thinking about taking profits. And we have some um, retailers coming out. We saw Home Depot today. And Home Depot met and, and I would say cautiously guided. Their numbers were a little bit lower than expectations. Stock was still up at, I, know, I think, $18 or $20 today. But we got Walmart, Target coming out also. And consumers, retail sales and things like that happening. So we'll see. Uh, let's see what else we have. So, so this is what happened last week. I'm, uh, let's, let's key off of this. So last Tuesday, markets uh, went up really nicely. And then and then Powell comes out, and then he comes out with a speech and says, you know, there's a lot more work that probably needs to be done to conquer inflation. He says, if it becomes appropriate to tighten policy further, we will not hesitate to do so. And this is uh, after a big run for the market. So now what he's trying to do is cool this off. So the same day, there was this bond market glitch. Yeah, that was a good one. There was something. We had, we had to look at that and talk about the whole China bank issue. But the bond market really hiccuped, I mean, or belched or burped. I don't know. It did something bad. And with the rates that came up as much as they did, nobody was buying the bonds. Uh, you know, what happened was that uh, all of a sudden, that combined with Powell's very, uh, I would say, strong talk about the potential for, uh, you know, another rate hike rather than a rate cut maybe coming, people started freaking out. They <laughs> started going, getting a little bit upset. So, and then, uh, of course, the next day, they made all sorts of reasons and rationales why ah, maybe Powell was just having a bad day. Indigestion? I don't know. So one of the best days of the NASDAQ 100 in 2023 was on Friday. 
Yeah. I, this whole thing is, it's kind of with Powell interfering and saying one thing and meaning another and saying something else. It's just, it is, it's just uncomfortable. Tiresome. It's tiresome. It, it It's, you know, once again, he's getting to a point that I think, which is he's pushing things to a point where I believe he could really break things. And I'll, and I'll explain what I mean by that. There was always uncertainty, concern, questions about, let's call it, information presented by, let's call it political parties for a long time, right? What's their real motive? We didn't really know, but you kind of thought about it, you'd researched it, and you found out what you needed to find out to make a decent decision. Then uh, comes on the uh, comes on the, the trail, a major change to how that's all dealt with. When Kellyanne Conway says there's alternative facts, and then we have fake news, and everything that you don't like is called fake news, and everything is not really the facts the way they're supposed to be presented, and what happens then is that all of a sudden there's doubt in everything. What he's doing is very similar to that, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You don't know what to believe or what not to believe. Now, some people say he says he's not going to do this, and he hasn't done it. So just believe what he's saying. The problem is he talks three ways from Sunday in every conversation. Did we have, I said, for some reason, I don't recall this, well, probably because it didn't happen. But if you go back a decade, do you remember the chairman of the Fed constantly yakking and yakking, yeah. except for the, the one or, I mean, it used to be just every, a month or two, they'd come out and do something. But this constant chirping, is this, I just don't remember this no. back in the day. This is conditioning. This is what happened under Bernanke. Bernanke created the, um, he has a variety of different mechanisms that he had. Yeah, but this wasn't just no. Bernanke after the crash? During and after, yes. I think before the crash, Bernanke was not a chirper. No, 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 no. He he created the communication strategy so that, or as I call it, the the prop the market up by talking about a strategy. You know, we used to have something called the uh, plunge protection team. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. You don't hear about that at, at all. No, we haven't heard about that for ten years. Right, and what's happened is that it's become more of a of a, as you said chirping, or a a conversation that is being utilized as a, a mechanism by the Fed to transmit their thinking, whether they did it used to do it a little bit more covertly through, let's say, the Wall Street Journal, a particular Wall Street Journal insider. Now they just outwardly just, ah, let's just kind of mess with the markets and confuse them. If it goes one way or another, we'll just get out there. And the, the difference was also, John, they're out all the time. These guys are all... They don't shut up. They don't. They don't stop. They're out at a luncheon at the New York Economics Club. They're at a dinner somewhere. They're at breakfast over here. They're meeting with. They just all of them. The whole team doesn't shut up. And and this has to be a grand plan. It has to be. I mean, if if U.S. corporate executives were this noisy, mm -hmm. they'd all be in jail. Right. Oh, of course. So this is what we're living with right now. But my concern is that he's going to break it to a point that people are, are, are beyond, you know, we just don't believe it anymore. And that, that would be a real shame. 
some of this, there, there is reason, you know, this whole world that everybody wants transparency because they want transparency. Half the people that, uh, 80% of the people that want transparency have no idea what to do with the information once they have it anyway. And, and, and have no use for the information. So, yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah. All right, let's go to consumers. The consumers took a spending break ahead of the holiday season with October retail sales, excluding autos and gas, falling by uh, less than a percent. And call retail, which also removes restaurants, declining by, again, less than a percent. So the October data showed that the weakness in gas station sales, electronics, appliances, furniture, and home stores were prevalent. But there was strength in sporting goods, hobby stores, and non-store retails. Internet sales, along with health and personal care. So, uh, mixed bag. But the bottom line is, again, we're seeing this rotation out of things. So, if you look at core retail and restaurants and travel is falling and Airbnb is having problems. People were doing the revenge travel for a while. They were doing the, oh my gosh, YOLO style life, right? Where I want to have the experiential. Let's go bungee jump off that bridge. You know what I mean? That was... yeah. All the rage. Let's do something we've never done. I have a great idea. Let's go shark diving without a cage. So th this is what has gone on. And all of a sudden, people are saying, all right, I've had enough of that. I'm good. I, I don't need to, you know, fly up to Coney Island just to watch Joey Chestnut for a day, eat 45 hot dogs. It's interesting, but I've done it. So... I think what's going on right now is that there is a, I, I mentioned this on a, on a episode of um, a conversation of a podcast I taped this week. And I talked about the socioeconomic strata and, and the, the various layers and ceilings in between each and how the compartmentalization of each of those economic strata is having different problems of their own. The, the highest end is, is obviously dealing with just much higher prices and having to spend cash. They don't leverage it because it's too expensive. The middle class is just not being able to spend on a variety of things across the board, like the ex slight excesses. And the lower end is having very much uh, a hard time due to the fact they can't buy anything. Yeah, gasoline's too expensive. Yeah, everything's, everything's too much. Everything's just too much. Can't get into a house because 8% for an interest rate rather than, you know, 3 4 5%. And then you have people that did a terrible thing. And, and I've seen this recently. A lot of people have, have, have went out and over the last, uh, let's call it five years, got HELOCs, home equity line of credits for themselves, which, which by the very nature have adjustable rates. And you know what they did? Or, sh or should I say didn't do? They didn't lock yeah, in. Yeah, they didn't lock in they the lower rate. In. Yeah, they didn't lock in. So what's happening is, that all these people have like 7.8% notes now where they were paying $300 a month and now they have to pay like $1,500 a month. And that wasn't how this is all designed. The idea to take the money out to pay off other bills, to buy things, to, you know, spruce up your house, all of yeah, a sudden it's become- you take the money out so you can pay the mortgage. Yeah, big, bur big burden. Put it right back in. Mm -hmm. So- uh, that, that's where I think some of this weakness is coming. You got to think of the multi-layered economic levels and how it's affecting each one of them. And if, if that will either continue, stay the same, change, or how it's going to work. Clearly, the more, the, the beneficial 
aspect of lower rates is, is that helps everybody. But not that rates are that high to begin with, by the way. Right? It's not like we're in, oh, 22% interest for a mortgage. No, it's not like it's eight. Eight is kind yeah, of the 22% was pretty high. Right. But but it's it's eight. Uh, not terrible. It's it's, yeah, not, it's, it's not as good as three. Not as good as three. Definitely not as good as three. All right. Uh, so let's talk about that glitch that happened at the on, on the treasury market last week. That something happened. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's being blamed on it is a ransomware attack on the world's biggest bank. So this is questioning whether or not this was actually the reason why, because the bank, according to uh, Bloomberg, ICBC Financial Services, which is a U.S. subsidiary of Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, relied on its offline system to process trades of U.S. treasuries after it was hit by a ransomware attack on Wednesday. So on Wednesday, they buy all these treasuries. They go through those machinations. They got to settle them out the next day, and then they have to buy more. You know, they go through the process, right? But they couldn't settle them out. And it was it was a big, and then if it couldn't settle it out, maybe they weren't buying any either on Thursday. Yeah, what a nightmare. So the question is, was Thursday anything to do with Powell's discussion why bond yield shifted so dramatically? Or was Thursday uh, fully uh, was the responsible was the responsible party that that really affected bonds on Thursday? This ransomware attack on on um, ICBC or what? I mean, it, it, they still have days before they can even reconnect. They they pulled the plugs. Yeah, it's gonna be a while. So this is work of a company called Lockbit, a Russia-linked criminal gang that was also accused of hacking Boeing. Earlier this year, they claim responsibility. Yeah, going after Chinese subsidiaries or any Chinese bank with this uh, Russia-oriented or this Russia-based criminal gang is—it seems to be asking for trouble. The Chinese have their gangs too. Oh yes, we're coming to get you. It's gonna be a bunch of dead Russians. Oh, this is a bad. I, I don't know. This is what's being blamed on. It's a really good, timely item. Yeah, it which, could be an excuse. Which is for, an excuse for the, yeah. But that's why on Friday, everything is bounced right back. Which is pretty interesting. Uh, let's see here. Uh, into the air, into the air, into the air. So Emeritus, Emeritus, what do you guys say to call it? Emeritus. Emirates. 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 Yeah, Emirates. Emirates Island on Monday. I never flew them. Have you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I heard they're great. It's pretty interesting. Mm. I, I have my one Emirates story. Okay. So you go, you're on there. It's a beautifully clean. The food is good. Everybody's, you know, they have to plane, half the plane, 70 to 80% of the plane are Arabs dressed in, in, in Arab garb. And, uh, but at the, as, as the plane's landing, they come by with some uh, magazines that are these various flight magazines that, that have, and they with the open to a page and they say, here, we want you to, uh, this is the such and such magazine. Tell them that Emirates is the greatest airline ever. Just fill out this this questionnaire that's in the airline magazine, hmm. and, they, and they pretty much stand over you while you're oh, really? filling this thing out. <laughs> so they get these amazingly high ratings by all these magazines. <laughs> so I just thought it was a genius, to be honest about it. Yeah, fill this out. We'll give you another drink. <laughs> Fill this out right. as we watch. Oh, boy. 
Well, the state-owned flagship Dubai Carrier, a subsidiary of Emirates Group. Uh, Emirates. Uh, Emirates. 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 Yeah, Emirates. It's easy to pronounce. Uh, is ordering 55 additional Boeing 777-9s and 35 at 77-8s, bringing the airline total for the 777 wide bonds, wide bodies uh, to 205. It's also updating his yeah. order of 787 Dreamliners to 30 to 35. Boeing was up 3% on the news. Lots of money. This, this is big money. Big, big money. Yeah, and this that 777 is a nice plane. I can see why they'd be buying them up. And, and they have, they're the ones that also have the, uh, in first class, they have, you have a private room. You have your own room. Like a little cubby. Close the door. You sleep for your trip. Well, I haven't been on one of those, but oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. I've been on similar to that. Uh, not, not a full room, but a partial room on like Korea Air, uh, um, A&A, Old Upon Air. Those are, those are pretty comfortable. Not to mention the fact that they keep coming with the Johnny Blue, which is a pleasure. <laughs> I'm on a plane one time. They're like, sir, uh, you know, we know that's unlimited drinking, but you're almost finished with that bottle of Johnny Blue. <laughs> and uh, there's other people on the plane that may want some. I said, well, find out who wants it. Until then, keep pouring. <laughs> Makes me go to sleep. I got a 12-hour flight. I might as well go to sleep for a while. Uh, all right, here's, here's a great piece. I want to talk to you this, about this because I think you are the proper person that can help me really understand what is what in this discussion. So it seems that Exxon wants to become a top lithium producer for electric vehicles, for EVs, with uh, with a new operation in Arkansas. So Exxon, in 2000, beginning of 2023, purchased 120,000 acres of a geological site in southern Arkansas called the Smackover Formation that is rich with lith- with lithium. And we know that lithium is an important component, one of the important, uh, what is it, metal? Is it called a metal? Uh, it's a metal. Metal. Uh, for the production of, of batteries for EVs, right? You no, know, lithium battery. That's what you hear, lithium. Yeah, it's a the light. It's a, it's light. It makes a light, a powerful battery. So the company will start producing battery-grade lithium, Exxon. Also, it's like sodium, though. If it touches water, it, like, lights on fire. Sodium? Lights on fire when it touches on water? Sodium, yeah. Get a piece of sodium metal and drop it oh, into, a, into a glass of water and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, not, not sodium itself, like the salt. No, not salt. That's sodium chloride. Yeah. No, sodium metal. Mm. You can cut it with a knife. It's like a, you can kind of like slice a piece off. It's a really nice metal. And you throw it in the water, and it, as soon as it hits water, it generates so much hydrogen and oxygen immediately and heats. It gets super hot and it, boom, it lights it off. Wow. Is it like mentos? That's what kids used to do in high school. The, the, the joke was that this is why nobody takes chemistry anymore. They don't even teach it. But in high schools, the stupid, well, stupid kids that are wise asses would chunk, take a chunk of sodium from the lab if they could find it and flush it down the toilet. Oh. Yep. Kaboom. <laughs> There was chemistry lab and chemistry. These sorts of gags aren't even, nobody even knows these gags oh, the anymore. Ah, oh, the good old days, how we <laughs> Good old days. We remember. Uh, so now Exxon is going to be beginning to produce battery-grade lithium at its site as soon as 2027. And it aims to supply enough of the material to support the 
manufacture of 1 million electric vehicles annually by 2030. So seven years. So that's pretty interesting. We still have the issue of disposal of these batteries that nobody seems to have conquered nope. and it doesn't seem to even come up in conversation anymore. Well, there, there, there are some, uh, if you do the, read enough literature, there are some recycling methodologies that are being employed and there's companies that take the old batteries and they can produce another, the same new batteries from the old batteries, mm. supposedly. So the, the reason they're doing this is because uh, many of these major oil companies are under pressure to address climate change. And uh, also the demand for lithium batteries is expected to surge sixfold in the U.S. by 2030. Now, here's the thing. You got that whole piece right there, right? We got Exxon, bought 120,000 acres in South Arkansas. They got lithium on it. They got to go mine it. They're going to do it. They're going to create it. They're going to get the batteries. They're going to do, right? You got that, right? Yeah, supposedly. The one punchline to this is the lithium battery was actually invented by a research scientist at Exxon in the 1970s but the oil giant ultimately did not pursue the technology. Now, here's my question. Take all of that together. Is it possible that this is like uh, Philip Morris buying Juul just to wreck <laughs> the company so that it's not used and everybody just keeps on smoking? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely some irony here if this is true. I, I find it hard to believe that the lithium battery was invented by a research scientist in, at Exxon. Personally, I could be wrong. I, I'll look into it. Please. But it's not my understanding. I thought most... Who invented uh, lithium? Oh, yeah. There you go. Ask your, ask your famous computer. John Goodenough. Mm, that's... What year? I don't know. But what year was the lithium battery invented? Who was the inventor of lithium? John Goodenough in 2012. Well, that's definitely not the right year. Who's the father? Look, John Goodenough. Well, Dr. Williams here. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, lithium. I don't know. ExxonMobil, Whittingham. When he researched, paved the way for the development of the rechargeable lithium-ion battery. Whittingham. Stanley. 72. Stanley. 72. Stanley Whittingham at Exxon in 1972. Manufactured small volumes by Exxon. Uh, appeared as, as an electric vehicle. Well, this trip. reminds okay, this reminds me of the irony of the fact that Kodak invented the first uh, digital uh, sensor for digital cameras. Yeah. They're the ones who invented it. Well, what, what, what about the whole Xerox Labs, for God's sakes? What about Xerox? Didn't they? Who, who invented the like the photocopy machine and the mouse and nothing? Yeah, well, Xerox did, but they made them. Well, they they they, they, were they didn't drop the ball necessarily. They like, dropped the ball. Like, on, I think like Exxon the mouse. apparently, I would say Exxon did and Kodak did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, yeah, these guys are these guys are horrible. Yep. Um, let's go back to, well, we got to cover a lot of things here. I thought we were actually had not enough. Uh, the fountain of youth. Do we have a fountain of youth? As they would say, Nova Nordisk says, well, Govi, it's heart benefits are due more to the Wagovi drug than to weight loss. 
Early data from the Danish drug maker Selectron. Seems unlikely if you ask me. It, this is good for everything. This polishes your car. This, this will, <laughs> this will, this will. Yeah, I say chrome. It's unbelievable. You put it in the wash, it, it sterilizes your wash. This is an yeah, unbelievable product. It's unbelievable. Early data from the Danish drug maker Select Trial released in August demonstrated that Wagovi, which has been shown to help patients lose an average of 15% of their weight, also reduced incidence of a heart attack, stroke, or death from the heart disease by 20%. I don't exactly know how it's that It's only happens. been on the market for a short while. I how does they get all this data? The heart, the heart risk difference between patients who received Wagovi, no chemically as semaglutide, and those on placebo began to appear almost immediately after starting the treatment. In a study... Of overnight and overweight, not overnight, overweight and obese, uh, both overweight and obese patients based on the body mass index or BMI who had pre-existing heart disease but not diabetes, would go to reduce the non-fatal heart attack by 28%, non-fatal stroke by 7%, and heart-related death by 50% compared to a placebo. I, I would think uh, there's maybe some truth to this in that. When you get on these and your body acts differently and it is in a different mode of disposing or not holding fat, those fat particles and things like that that maybe are going to clog your arteries are, are, are less. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say that that's not possible. I'm just wondering the source of this this research and how much Novo Nordisks paid for it and controlled it sure and, and sure helped write the conclusions. I am sure it's all theirs. I'm sure it's all theirs. And I wonder what they left out. Uh, they left out that... Uh... Growing the second head, that would be the issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Staying on the topic of health and uh, disgusting things, uh, eyes, we're going to focus on that for a second. Surgeons in New York have performed the first ever whole eye transplant in a human. Accomplishment being hailed as a breakthrough, even though the patient has not regained sight of his eyes. can't see. So what good is it? Well, the eyeball removal, and we stuck a new one in there, and it worked. I mean, we got it in there, but, of course, the guy's still blind. So, yeah, okay. You, you caught this one pretty kind of Kind of a, a, a negative to the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, from the Oh My God category, most Google employees work eight-hour days. I could stop there, and we could wonder what the hell that means. But some employees are on a 60 to 80% full-time schedule. For whatever reason, there's a great deal of excitement about the fact that they work eight hours a day. Reports from Google and from areas around other remote workers have uh, been showing that some people making big bucks coding remotely may only work actually one to two hours a day in reality, and some of these uh, have high side hustles to do the rest of their work. That's the problem yeah. with remote work. Well, it wasn't when it first showed up uh, before COVID when people worked remotely. There's plenty of data that shows they actually did more work than the average worker. But after COVID and all the scammers started working remotely and then it became a thing and it changed kind of the culture. And then all these guys came along with these ideas to do two jobs or three jobs and remote, uh, do it remotely. Yeah, probably is now no good. There's no oversight and people think it's their right. You know, and back in, it's also because employers are so scared shitless of their employees. God forbid somebody leaves. You know, and, and, and 
the right of the employee. I don't know about you, but if you're working for me, you're working for me. If I'm pouring all my time to train you to do, to be there, to get and pay you all your top dollar and all that, you're not having other jobs during your job. You want to do it sometime afterwards or something like that on the weekends, but not during your job, right? Yeah. You don't totally buy that. Well, I, you're a, you're an ogre when it comes to uh, <laughs> a worker uh, attitude toward workers. Oh, really? Well, you, I mean, I'm, I've listened to you for over a decade. Then the unionization comes up. Oh, no, wait, no, and, don't talk about that. That's what I say. Not unions. No good. I'm an ogre. Yes, I think you are. You are an ogre mm. when it comes to uh, labor relations. Mm. All right. Uh, let's continue on. because I, don't I wanna... By the way, and I don't think what your your attitude is wrong or or, yeah. or uh, highly unusual. It's not even close to that. I just think it's, it's very rigid. It's stiff. It's... Yeah. Uh, you're a mean, a mean guy. A mean bastard. Who wants to work? <laughs> You're a mean bastard for a boss. Bastard, man. Uh, so you know what? Do they throw big parties for you because they love you so much at the office? Uh, not that I can recall. Yeah. Well. All right. Let's talk about Microsoft. Microsoft. I mean, in one day, it opened a, a conversation about, hey, you know what, employees, you are prohibited from accessing Chat GPT. Remember. They're a big investor in OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT. Then it was reversed one day later. They said, as we've said previously, we encourage employees and customers to use services like Bing Chat Enterprise and ChatGPT Enterprise that comes with greater levels of privacy and security protections. So I believe this came about because somebody didn't realize. Microsoft's always been eat your own dog food company. Mm -hmm. Uh and I believe somebody at the company didn't realize that Microsoft owns, you know, has got a good piece of chat uh, GPT and made this edict. And then somebody immediately pointed out to him, hey, this is our dog food, you dummy. And they had to reverse it the next day. That has to be the only reason. Oh, it could be. I thought that, yeah, because they reversed it and they used a really good tax saying, hey, you know what? We want the higher security one. Since we have the licensure of it, use that. Not the one that yeah, the well, peasants that sounds That sounds like their lame excuse. Yeah. Now, also with OpenAI, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman has revealed that he's seeking further financial support from top investor Microsoft as his company, the makers of the popular ChatGPT software, pushes forward with research into how to build super intelligence. I have no idea what that means. It doesn't mean anything. It means he wants more money. Ah. So he's being the super screwball creating this. No, he's not a screwball at all. He just sees that, you know, it's expensive to run these systems because they require so much computing power. And Microsoft's now a leader, as we pointed out in a recent show, in uh, cloud computing. Uh, he just wants some more uh, resources, but free resources. You don't think super intelligence is a differential from AI? It's a whole different layer, isn't it? I'm sorry? Is super intelligence different than AI? I thought super intelligence, the way that this was being uh, discussed. I, I think it's a meaningless term. I think oh. AI is largely meaningless too, but super intelligence doesn't mean anything. All right. SI, super intelligence. Artificial intelligence, super intelligence. 
Uh, strike. Starbucks employees planning another strike on November 16th. It's called Red Cup Day. It's the biggest sales day of the event of the season. It's also one of the most infamously hard, unsatisfied, understaffed, really terrible day for baristas, it seems. Last Why? year, uh, they have to work. Because well, they have to work anyway. It's their biggest sales day. That means they got to put out a lot more. What's the point? What is Red Cup Day? I have no idea. It's just something they do. And it says last year, we 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 saw the workers went on strike, and this year at the heels of victories won by striking workers across different industries nationwide, Starbucks is taking the rebellion to the next level. They even have their own website. Something's up with this company. They, have their they, own they close. They close seven of the, or they're going to close seven of the stores in San Francisco. I think it's pulling back. I concluded that because I'm grinding coffee and make cappuccino all the time, I've finally concluded that there's a, there's not enough coffee in the world to expand forever. And now the Chinese are drinking coffee, which they are. Uh, this there's not enough coffee to sustain these these operations. There's just not that much coffee in the world that you can have every corner of every you know five blocks have a coffee shop. Makes no sense. Crazy. They do have sometimes a Starbucks on one side of the street and one on the other. Yeah, I've seen it where two corners, same corners. You get a a, a crossroads and there's one corner's got a Starbucks, the other corner's got a Starbucks. Nuts across from each other. Nuts. Let's keep going here. Disney exceeded the Wall Street's expectations on earnings last Wednesday as higher attendance of its Shanghai and Hong Kong theme parks offset a decline in advertising revenue at television state, uh, network ABC. The company reported per share earnings, excluding certain items of 82 cents in the fourth quarter, and uh, topped an average forecast of 70, so 12 cents better. That was good. Quarterly revenue of $21.2 billion was largely in line with consensus. The company still has big problems and has a long way to go, but uh, maybe, I don't know. I, I, I've had discussions with analysts that hate the company, hate the company. It says ESPN is going down the tubes. Disney Plus is not doing anything. Streaming is losing a lot of money. company is really a, a company without a purpose any, any longer. It doesn't seem to have focus. No, definitely not. We saw a big news item about Beyond Meat, which was beyond disgusting. <laughs> beyond Meat missed market expectations for quarterly revenue and posted a wider-than-expected loss on Wednesday, last Wednesday, hurt by relentless weakness in demand for plant-based meat. Did anybody this is terrible, really, that's why. Did anybody really think people were going to want this crap? I, I never, well, I'll tell you this. This is a, a very disappointing, uh, besides the the expectations being disappointing. I'm disappointed because I had a short on this thing forever and it got bounced off the game. Yep. That's what happens. Everybody thinks this is the worst, but you made 50% on it for goodness sakes. Oh yeah. No, it kicked. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. It'll take the 50%. I mean, yeah, but yeah. like you said, simple math, it can go down another 50%. They can. Yeah. I'm thinking about re reintroducing. Wow. It. Yeah. This is game over for this. They did, they did a revenue of uh, 75 million. That's not a much, not much at all. Oh, it's hardly anything. Yeah. Looking at the oldest profession, it seems that high-end brothels in Boston, East Virginia, provided sex for pay to elected officials, high-tech and pharmaceutical executives, doctors, <laughs> military officers. Love story. Government yeah. contractors that possess security clearance, which I don't know what, that, what the point of that was, uh, professors and others. These um, 
three people were arrested in connection with operating the pricey sex shops, which required interested sex buyers to provide employer information and references before booking sessions with prostitutes. Can we role play for a second here? Uh, hi there, John. I understand you are the proprietor of a of a brothel. Yeah. Uh, what information do I need to provide you uh, so I can come in and do a little bangerang? Well, we need your social security <laughs> number, uh, credit card, <laughs> and we need a. You have to fill out a bio. Yeah, and you give, and, and your your boss is. And personal. if you're if but we'll give you a discount if you're you got a security clearance. Yeah. Sure. Let me give you all that information. And 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 how about I even give you my wife's cell phone number? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, so um, the brothels charge customers about three hundred fifty to upwards of six hundred dollars per hour, depending on the services, and were paid in cash. So you're paid in cash, but they if got you're your paying in cash. What are you filling out all this data That's for? So ridiculous! This whole thing is bizarre. Bizarre. It's very bizarre. If you're going to, you know, then now these guys are listed. Well, let's get, if, if guys are stupid enough to give all their personal details to some cash only business of any sort besides the brothel, they should be outed. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Uh, but the, I think the, the most incredible story that I read this week that I have to talk to you about is about Twitter X. Elon Musk's artificial intelligence startup XAI will be integrated into his social media platform X and also be available as a standalone app. Now he, whoa, hold on. Isn't an AI integration into an app nothing more than a bot? Yeah, exactly. And wasn't the whole point of him buying Twitter to get rid of the bots? <laughs> Well, to get rid of those bots. The other bots, the bots that are not his. They call him this yeah. Grok. It is real-time access to info via the X platform, which is a massive advantage over other models. So I'm asking, is there any is there any privacy left? Does Twitter need to get permission to use my feed? And why is he using the horrible word Grok? But, you know, he's got to do something. To Grok be is a word. Every time somebody says it around me, I always call them out for doing it. Uh, it's a, it's a, I think it's... Invention of uh, Robert Heinlein. And I think it was in Stranger in a Strange Land. I'm not sure the, the actual book, but it means understand. So people would always say, oh, I I, I grok it. Have you had people say this nope. word around you? No, nope, I have not. Thank God. Uh, uh, Cal You'll hear it in California more than you were in Florida, I'm sure. But, mm. uh, oh, yeah, I grok it. Oh, do you grok it? You know, it's just it's, it's just a crappy sounding word. It yeah. just grosses me out. Mm. It's a pet peeve. Sorry. Let's finish. That's fine. I got a, a few of them. You know that. <laughs> uh, let's finish off with this. Microsoft Palantir Technologies, Abercrombie & Fitch, among a small but increasing number of businesses, offering menopause benefits, with women most likely to be affected, now representing 20% of the female workplace. About 4% of employers that offer sick leave are providing additional support for menopause, such as access to hormone therapy and counseling and According to a, a report, the survey, which polled 522 human resource employers and employees involved in creating and updating the company's leave policies, found that about a third of businesses that don't currently provide accommodation for menopause and are open to offering them in the next five years. So why not, if you have a horny under 30 male, why can't he get like time off for whacking off? 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe some lawsuits should be filed if they, they let the menopause thing go. Yeah. It's gone too far, hasn't it? <laughs> it seems so. Yeah. I mean, I'm serious. I've, I've been thinking, I'm looking at this whole thing. I'm like, it's just every single thing. Oh, it's hangnail Thursday. Anybody with a hangnail can take off the whole day. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's, 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 uh, oh, you know, it's, 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 a, oh, it's a Friday and it's, uh, uh, the sun's going down early. It's cloudy, cloudy. People get upset with cloudiness. Can't work. Kind of gross. It's very unfortunate. I don't know. The whole, the, the whole world's gone pear-shaped, man. Whole world's gone pear-shaped. Well, with that, let's do this. This is a game that we play. It's not a solicitation to buy or sell any security. It's not a recommendation of any kind. Nothing on the show should be considered investment advice or a recommendation. If you choose to invest in any of the stocks mentioned, you should know that it may carry risk, along with the risk of a loss of principal. You should also seek out professional financial advice for your particular situation. We assume no risk as these are not to be considered recommendations. Horowitz, company, myself, or John C. Dvorak may invest in any of the securities mentioned, and we'll disclose that on the website under the weekly stock picks section. You can go to dhunplugged.com and see all the names we discuss in the segment, along with the performance information from the date discussed, as well as any additional important disclosures. Well, four of the shorts are gone. Yeah, market's turned, right? In fact, one, two, yes, we noticed that completely last show we talked about it. So I had a bunch of shorts, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven shorts, plus a, a short, which is a long short, which is a pro shares short. And of those uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight total, uh, four of them. Boom. Count. But goodbye. Bye. So shorts, shorting is no good at, at this point. But yes, one of them ended up with over 50% gain. That was beyond me. Beyond <laughs> me. I may, I'd short it again, but I, I'm thinking maybe now is not the good time to short anything. Well, what's, what's interesting, I, I think, on this, and it's not necessarily um, anything more than just what we saw to a degree is that, uh, and there were some other things, there were some other ones that didn't work out as well, but starting at about, I'll say, October 1st, which is the time period when we talked about the potential for the end of the year seasonality to kick in. Now, October was not a right. great month. I would say October 1st is when this ended, when the short, yeah, that's the, when we started, the short opportunity see. was over. Yeah, you see all the different longs that we had and everything was beaten down. And uh, we have, let's go through this, right, on... Uh, let me just go to the top here, short, short, short. Okay, 927. The first long, uh, well, the first long we have is still listed. Uh, yeah, we had, we had Nike. That was down. Nike because you because they're comfortable. I like your rationale. Yeah, I said earnings uh, hail mary on that. Uh, yeah, hail mary. My feet feel better. Yeah, we had the TLT, which was the long bond, feeling that interest rates would come down. That's up four point six. TBT went the other side against it and it dropped. But then you have Vox Long up eight point six since ten eighteen. Amazon up sixteen percent. Yeah, that's outrageous. Since 1025. Yeah, and it's a big company. Serval Therapeutics kicked off, but up 10.5%. Global Uranium up 8%. And Toast yeah. uh, was up nicely today, so that's what did a lot for it. Up 3%. So an, an, an amazing turnaround. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how the cycle... Is, is, well, if I hadn't been going nuts with all the shorts, it wouldn't have been so obvious, but it's very obvious now. Yeah, exactly. I would. I don't have any picks for this week. I would go short I something if that if no. I was going to. I just don't. It's not exactly the right time. 
I'm not going to short anything. In fact, I'm going to go counterintuitive and, and go long Disney. Wow. Disney long. Okay. I was looking at the charts. You know, in 2021, that is a $200 stock. Yeah. And now it's like, what, 86? That's two years later, it's 90 bucks. 90, yeah. 91 now. That's good. That's up a lot today. Last couple of days. 677. Okay. And I don't even like the company what's the reason? What's the reason for it? Chart? Chart. Type it away. Anything else? Today's what's today? That's no, I got nothing else. 11, 15, 2023. Enter. Okay. All right. We'll get this on the game. And uh, there we go. Very nice. Cool. All right. Good talking right. to you, sir. I'll talk to you again Tuesday. All right. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening in on a conversation with John C. Dvorak and Andrew Horowitz. Hope to be with you again soon. Bye-bye. Now, I'm not broke, but badly bent. I'm not down to my last cent, because I got a dollar, but it's my last dollar bill. <laughs> yes, sir. In my pockets, there's a dent. All my dough is nearly spent, but I got a dollar, and it's my last dollar bill. Oh, I'd love just one more buck fortune left me by chance. Now, here's a hint. I feel like a man. You can hardly tell by a glance. I don't care. No millionaire can give me the ice stare because I got a dollar, my last dollar bill. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.